again, welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. My name is Robbie. I'm the campus pastor here in Cyprus. Just grateful that you're here. If you're a guest with us, thrilled that you're with us. Uh, if you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 2. Uh, Mark chapter 2. Uh, we've been in a series in the, the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is the second gospel. It's the second book in the New Testament, uh, believed to be the earliest written gospel. And uh, we're going to be walking through the Gospel of Mark for quite a while. We're going to take a month off in December. Uh, really starting at the end of November, we're going to do four Sundays uh, as it pertains to Advent, the leading up to Christmas, the leading up to the, the, the Christmas celebration. So we're going to take a little bit of time off and pick back up in Mark after the new year. So if you got something against Mark, you've picked the wrong church, all right? So uh, Gospel of Mark is where we are, chapter two. Uh, by the way, we have copies of the scripture. Always we have Bibles. And if you ever need those, just grab one. Those are, we, we buy a bunch of those and they're free to you. And maybe you got a friend or a neighbor, you're like, hey, it'd be cool to offer a Bible. We were talking about something in the Bible last week, and maybe I showed up and just said, hey, I've got a Bible for you if you ever want to read it. Awesome. Grab five of those things. We're just going to keep reordering. Whenever they go out, we're going to keep reordering always. So grab a copy at the Connect table back there. Also, if you walked in here and you got a piece of paper, that's a listening guide is what we're calling it, uh, and that's just a chance for you to take some notes, kind of follow along today with the message. If you did not get one and you want one, if you don't want one, uh, fine, just, that's, we're all good here. But if you do want one, just slip up your hand, let us know. If you didn't get one of these listening guides, and then uh, Matt and I think Sarah, we got some people. If you need one of these before we start, just, just raise your hand. Up. Uh, Mark chapter 2. Here's what I would like you to do. Uh, this will be on the screen, but if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to invite somebody close to you. If they don't have one, just, they can look on with you or you with them. I want you to read this out loud, and this is starting in verse 23, going through 28. So Mark 2, 23 through 28. I want you to read it with somebody close to you, or if you're like, I don't really want to do that, no thanks. I'm just reading along on the screen. Uh, but if you would, read it out loud at whatever pace you like, and then we're going to get back together and dive into this passage. So go for it. Read it out loud. Let me hear you. Come on. All right. Y'all sound great. Let me read this for us. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he, he being, of course, Jesus, he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he, of course, again, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay? Let's get some context here because when you hear the word Sabbath, maybe you have an understanding, maybe you do not. But in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was, was a, uh, a, not only just a practice, but it was a, a command. So I want you to put your finger right there uh, in Mark chapter 2, and I want you to go to the beginning of your Bible, second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. And I want us to get some context before we dive into what in the world Jesus is talking about uh, here in Mark 2. So Exodus chapter 20. 
And Exodus chapter 20 is right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. You don't have to have a long background in the church. Maybe you're new to the church. You're like, I'm still trying to figure out the faith. You probably know about the Ten Commandments, right? Moses ascends the mountain. God gives him these ten great laws that the Israelites are to to live by. And uh, here's what I want you to know as we read this passage. The Old Testament, again, if you're not familiar with the way the Bible is laid out, the Old Testament begins with this perfect union Man with God, man and woman with God, Adam and Eve in the garden. You know that story. Perfect union with God. Sin enters the picture and separates the two, right? We're involved in that story. So our sin now has separated us from God. So where there was perfect union, we now have a massive chasm between us and God. And so the Old Testament is man's best attempt to work his or her way back to God. What do I mean by that? All of these laws, all of these rituals, all, you ever read some of these Old Testament passages, you're like, what in the world is happening? There's sacrifice and uh, goats and all this crazy stuff. You're like, what is happening right here? And it's just this crazy attempt by man to work our way back to God. Again, be reminded, Jesus has not been sent as the way, the truth, the life. So the Old Testament is filled with this massive effort to get back to God, the Ten Commandments uh, being chief among them. So Exodus 20, verse 8, feel free to read along with me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock. All right, so even the livestock get a day off. Fantastic. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is the fourth commandment. There's 10 commandments. This one's the fourth. What The command is, hey, for six days, go work. Work hard. The seventh day, don't work. Rest. That sounds pretty good. Just just reading that, I'm like, this is pretty good. And the the Jewish people, they would light a candle. uh, Be reminded that the Sabbath day of the Old Testament was Friday night to Saturday night. So Friday, as the sun was going down, they would typically light a candle. They would share a meal together, and they would say, we're going to rest for the next 24 hours. All of this sounds awesome to me. Sounds fantastic. The the problem was that if you broke that law, again, this is the only thing we had to try to work our way back to God, all these rules and regulations and law. And so if you broke that law, we're going to see in scripture, you could actually be killed for that. And so what is, what is work, right? Like what, what, what constitutes uh, work. And there was a lot of debate about this. Could you even prepare a meal? No, that seems to be work. Could you actually get up to retrieve the water? Well, that seems like some effort. So it's all this kind of back and forth, like what's the, what's the rules? But we see, and this is important for us, I'm going to tell you why in a second, but we see this uh, in Numbers chapter 15. You don't have to turn there, but here's what happened. Moses and Aaron, they're leading the Israelites, and uh, some people co- come to the, their leaders and they say, hey, this guy, it was the Sabbath day, and this guy was doing work. What should we do to him? And, of course, again, all they have to go by was this law, right? And so they said, well, the law says you can be put to death. And so literally they stoned the guy to death, right? Because he 
prepared a meal or did something that constituted work, right? Does that make sense to you? But in the context of, hey, all we got is law, that's, that's what would happen. Why is that important to what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 2? Here's why. We're going to read about the Pharisees. Pharisees just means they're religious. They're just religious experts, if there was such a thing. They just know everything. They knew the law backwards and forwards. Uh, they knew what to do and when to do it and what not to do and, and how, to, how to somehow make their way uh, into uh, religious standing in society. They kind of knew it all, and the Pharisees knew that, hey, you don't do anything that, that even appears to be work on the Sabbath. Because what I just described to you was that was their understanding, right? They didn't have any other context. And so as you read Mark chapter 2, which, by the way, if you kept your finger there, just flip back over there with me. If you read Mark chapter 2, that context is the context that these Pharisees are approaching Jesus. Uh, Verse 23, let's dive into this. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. By the way, let me me backtrack because these... I'm, I'm getting used to using this. This is cool, by the way. All right, so the first thing you need to write down there is uh, it was punishable by death. And again, that sounds harsh. The reason we need to know it is because that's the context of which these Pharisees are asking Jesus. So if you're taking notes on your listening guide, punishable by death. Here's what we know. This is interesting. You don't need to turn there, but Deuteronomy 23 There's a passage in the Old Testament that says, if you were walking through my field, let's say I was growing grain or corn or something, and you were walking through my field, if you were hungry, you could uh, take what you need to satisfy that hunger. You didn't have to come ask me, knock on my door. If you were walking through my field, again, they didn't have this massive network of roads, and so you tend to just walk across people's land, and if you were hungry in that moment, you could... uh, pick off some food and eat it. Now, the law says uh, in Deuteronomy 23, it says, but don't store up a bunch of it. So don't come to my field and store up enough food for the winter or store up enough food to take to the market and sell it. I'm not going to come to your field and store up a bunch for later. But if I was hungry, it was an understanding between you and I, hey, we're going to help each other out. By the way, how beautiful is that? Right? Do you have neighbors like that? I mean, we moved into a new house recently. The, the second day we were there, a neighbor knocked on our door. I don't know if they're believers, but they literally had fresh baked bread, honestly, some of the best bread I've ever had, and they just said, uh, we have a pool, we want you, your kids to swim, uh, we want to spoil you as our neighbors, and we're just like dumbfounded, right? And that kind of love, right, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing, and so that's what's happening right here. So when you read this passage, and these disciples and Jesus are walking through this field, and they just begin to start picking off food, you're kind of like, is that weird to anybody else? No, that was just the norm. They weren't going to store it up for later. And so in verse 23, we see the disciples uh, grabbing what they need. By the way, Luke, Luke's gospel gives a little more description. They would take this grain and they would rub it in their hands like this. And then they would, what would be left is this kind of, uh, you could chew on it. It really wasn't something that would be uh, much food. And so most likely they were hungry and kind of like you and I would chew gum. If, you know, if it's like the three o'clock hour and I'm like, I'm hungry, but it ain't time to eat. So maybe we, we chew gum to try to satisfy some of that. That's what they did with this grain. Most likely they chewed on it for most of the day. It would last uh, as long as, as, the, as you wanted it to. And so they, they chewed on it. So they would take the top of the grain and chew on it. Just fascinating to me. Verse 24, that's when these, these Pharisees, right, these religious experts, they show up and they say, Jesus, you can't do that. You want to explain yourself? So verse 24 says this. The Pharisees, 
were saying to him, to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? I've already given you all the context you need to know why they would say that, right? Hey, it's a Sabbath day. That looked like some effort. That's not a lot of effort, but they were picking the grain off, and that looks like work. Explain yourself, because as far as we're concerned, they're in violation of what we know to be the law, and these men need to be punished for it. Verse 25 and 26, Jesus responds with a question. Do you have friends like this, right? You ask them a question, they respond to you with a question. You're like, no, I asked you the question. Like, I want you to answer. Don't, get, don't put it back on me, right? Some of you are good at this, right? You just know how to spin these things. Uh, politicians are good at that, right? They know how to spin these things. They, ask, they, they, they respond to a question with a question, and that's what Jesus does. He basically references a story that I'm going to spend maybe a minute and a half on to tell you why he references this story. But let's read this together, verse 25. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So why is Jesus answering their question with a question? The question is this, have you never, you never read this story? You haven't heard this story? You Pharisees, religious experts, you're supposed to know all the stories, right? Have you not heard about what David did? So here's what David did. Uh, and we see this in 1 Samuel 21. You don't need to turn there, but if you want to reference that, 1 Samuel 21, it is the, the account of the story that Jesus references here. And this is what happened. In the temple, there would be a table set up. Maybe in our, so this was our temple. Maybe the table's here. And there's just uh, uh, piles of fresh bread. And in some places, it was called the show bread. Uh, in this passage, it's called the bread of presence. But maybe, does anybody have a, a, a copy of scriptures where it says show bread? Um, God bless you all. Nobody does. All right. So uh, showbread or bread of presence. And here's the deal. It was really symbolic, honestly, because the only person who was allowed to eat that bread back there is the high priest. So the, the, the leader of the temple, uh, the pastor of the temple, if you're the high priest, he could eat the, the showbread, the, the, the bread of the presence, but you and I could not. So if this was our context, we had some bread, fresh bread piled up here. You and I are not touching that bread. Curtis Jones can eat that bread, but you and I are not touching that bread because he's, you know, he's our leader, right? So uh, the, 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 the priest could eat it. What happened is David and his men walked in, and he, here's the context. Saul, King Saul, was chasing David, wanted to kill David. David is fleeing from King Saul. He has his men, but they are outnumbered, so they are on the run, and they're just straight hungry, right? They're just hungry, as you can imagine. And so they show up at this temple, and they say to the high priest, do you have anything to eat? And of course, in 1 Samuel, you could go back and read this later, the, the high priest just says, all I have is the bread of the presence, but you're not supposed to eat that bread. And the high priest has a decision to make. Do I stick to the law, or do I love and honor these men who are just, they're just hungry? And ultimately, the high priest says to these men, have at it. And they feast on the bread typically meant for the high priest only. So it's interesting. You got this strange little scene where these religious leaders are questioning Jesus. And he just says, do you not know that story? You don't know about what happened when David? And the reason you're like, why why is he uh, referencing this? And here's what's powerful and what I want you to write down on your listening guide. Jesus is painting a picture for grace. And so he is offering grace and valuing the needs of others over the law. Just as the high priest said, I know what I'm supposed to do, but these men are in need. I'm going to meet their need. Jesus says, look, these men walking through this field, they're hungry. 
and I value them. I love them more than I value the, the rules and religious restrictions. Verse 27. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is just a, a sentence packed. This is just a powerful statement, right? And here, you know, I'm going to say a few more things, and then we're going to get out of here. I just hope that you remember something very simple today. If your idea of following Jesus, or, or maybe even showing up at Bayou City Fellowship, if your idea of Jesus and what it means to be a Christian is just wrapped up in a to-do list or laws or it's just kind of this, this uh, uh, joyless pursuit of religion. You, 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 you're, missing, you're, missing, you're missing the story of Jesus. You're, you're, you're stuck back in, in Exodus. You're, you're stuck in a day where all we had was this law, this kind of endless pursuit of trying to get back to God. And what Jesus says here, very simply, is I didn't create man so he could just follow laws. I didn't create you. He did not create me to just follow some kind of, live up to some kind of standard. He says this Sabbath, this idea of Sabbath, is actually for man. I love man enough that I want him and her to rest. And so when he says this in verse 27, pretty simple but powerful, Sabbath was made uh, a Sabbath was made for man, not, not man-made for the law, not man-made for the Sabbath. Verse 28, we end this passage. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. All right, so this is kind of strange language. I mean, I don't know about you, but you probably don't have a ton of dialogue with your coworkers or friends just about the Sabbath day or who's Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, these, these are typically not conversations we have. Jesus uses this language, and it seems to be Old Testament language. We've already talked about the, the, the law and all this. And you just go, man, what, what, what do we do with this kind of passage? One thing I want to tell you quickly is when, when Jesus says, I'm the son of man, sometimes I read that, and I just need to be reminded, what is he talking about, the son of man? Wouldn't it be more powerful to say son of God, right? If I was part God, fully God, but, but, but part of the Trinity, and I was walking the planet, I would tend to think that saying son of God would be more powerful. Well, here's a couple things that I want you to know. He says son of man uh, because uh, uh, clearly he is, uh, he is uh, fully man. He's fully God, but he's fully man, born of the virgin. And so it's a reminder to us uh, that he is born uh, of Mary and walking this earth as a human being. But there's also something interesting that happens in Scripture. In Daniel chapter 7, you don't need to turn there. You just need to know that this is referenced for the first time in the Scripture in Daniel 7, where Daniel has this vision. It's, he sees this uh, figure that looks like a man, but the Son of Man reference really is this, looks like a man, but, but the highly exalted one. So it, it's, a, it's a heavenly image I'm seeing. Looks like a man, but it's, it's more than just man. And that Son of Man phrase, Jesus loves to use it probably, I think, uh, just my opinion, to, to stir our conversations. Can you imagine hearing him say that? It would just, you just go, what did he just say, son of man? Like, what does that mean? I would imagine people who heard that, they wrestled with that all the way home. So in this passage, at the end of the passage, Jesus says, so the son of man, meaning himself, fully God, fully man, is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Lord of the Sabbath, here's what I want you to know about this. We're about five minutes and we're going to be done, okay? Hebrews chapter 4, and just to make sure I know you're awake, you're going to read this with me. Stacy, put that up for me. Read this out loud. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his What this passage says to us, what the reminder, what the takeaway from this is, if you choose to follow God, you no longer are bound to this crazy idea of trying to fulfill the law. God, through Jesus Christ, is your Sabbath. He is your rest. If you pursue rest in any other way, it will not be enough. Now, given there's some pretty good ways to rest on the earth, right? I mean, if I could just maybe spend a month in the Bahamas, I'm going to feel rested, you know, it's going to feel, but I promise you, it just will not suffice. And so if you walked into the room, I just can't even tell you how many folks, our staff, from Colin, our men's pastor, Chris, our women's pastor, to all of our staff down the line, just daily, we encounter so many folks who just say, honestly, the biggest struggle in me is anxiety. And when I lay my head on my pillow, I do not sleep well, and I wake up, and I'm worrying about finances, and I'm worrying about relationships, and I'm worrying about the brokenness of my family. Uh, I'm worrying about losing my job, or am I ever going to find another job? And the anxiety, it just it snowballs down the hill, and it, I just don't know if there's an end to this. This message and the reminder from that verse in Hebrews just says this. There is no rest you are going to find unless you just say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. So when I rest physically and also just emotionally, if I'm not resting in you, it's in vain. And if that's you this morning, you just go, man, I got a lot of worry and stress. The office place, at home, whatever it is, I got a lot of worry and stress. My challenge to you is to say, Jesus, be my Sabbath. I didn't really know what that word meant in context, but now I'm kind of seeing that to rest is to know you, to follow you. I'm going to give us some practical steps here, but I want the message, I want the challenge to be. There's resting, and then there's resting in Jesus, and it's much sweeter, I promise you. Instead of law, instead of judgment, we find grace. We find forgiveness. And so in light of that, just make sure that you understand that this morning. In light of that, I want to just challenge you on a couple things before we pray together. If you're taking notes, the Sabbath, it should be a a few things that, that I think are important for us. Number one, it should be restful. Sunday naps are, are an act of worship, all right? <laughs> Sunday naps are beautiful. And, you know, I don't, I don't remember which kid of mine, uh, we have five kids. One of these kids at some point had said to us, I love napping on Sunday. It feels different, right? It just does. I mean, Sundays, for most of us, not all of us, because maybe your work schedule's nuts and Sunday, like Sundays, no. So maybe it's Monday for you. But for most of us, Sunday is a day that we set aside, and it's a day of rest, so physically emotionally, I hope it's filled with rest. I I saw this quote this week that I loved. It said this, those who work with their hands should Sabbath with their minds. And those who work with their minds should Sabbath with their hands. 
And I found that so fascinating because part, I don't know about you, but part of me is like, well, what, what can I do? Like, what should I do on Sunday? What should, what, what does rest actually look like, you know? And I love that quote because if you work with your hands, if you build houses for a living, you may want to read a novel or watch a great film or visit a museum or do something that just is, uh, you know, having uh, dialogues with, with other folks and just really challenging your mind. If you are sitting in a cubicle all day and you're behind a computer, you're responding to email and you're just constantly in communication with people, you may want to get out and just work in, in a garden or do some yard work or do something, build something. Or uh, I love to mow my yard, and it, that doesn't seem like work to me because typically my mind is running 100 miles an hour, but if I'm behind a lawnmower, I just, I'm, I'm just, honestly, I'm just kind of resting, thinking about uh, just my, my mind is clear and it's very simple thoughts. So I love that quote, and I don't know uh, what that looks like for you, but Sabbath should be restful. Sabbath, number two, should be Holy. I want you to write that down. Sabbath should be, it should be holy. I'm not going to tell you how to do this, right? I want to just challenge you. What does that mean exactly? It doesn't mean that you map out a worship service all day long that lasts for, you know, 12 hours at a time. It just means that, hey, there's this day in the week that's set aside and it just looks different for me. Six days of work, of getting stuff done, and on the seventh day, on the seventh day, and again, maybe it's Monday for you or Wednesday, just played golf with somebody in our church who, he's like, I, I take Tuesday off. That just works for me. That's my, that's my day of rest. And so Sunday, I get some, some rest and some Sabbath. But two, I, don't, I don't know what it is for you, but I, I'm just telling you, uh, what, is it, what are the elements in your life to just go, this day is different. This day is set apart. One quick side note you need to know. Old Testament, Friday night to Saturday night, that was the Sabbath. The early church began to celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. Uh, That was the day of Jesus' resurrection. So they thought, hey, that seems like a pretty good day to change the Sabbath. Let's do that. And so that's where we get the idea of gathering on Sunday. We're not going to, I don't need to know where your schedule's like. It, It looks different for all of us. It's just that for most of us, Sunday is a day we can set aside It should be restful. It should be holy. Last one I want you to write down. It should be intentional. It should be intentional. And so uh, for me and my family, uh, you can tell my priorities if you opened up my iCal, my calendar, right? Um, Maybe even more than my bank account. If you really wanted to know what I care about, and, and uh, my wife and I, we had a, a, a good little discussion about this last night, right? Because my calendar is filled up with a bunch of stuff. And do I have anything on there that says, hey, I love you. And I want to I date you after all these years of marriage. I want to pursue you. And so I have to go, yeah, I need to carve out some space because you're worth it, right? And my kids, if they opened up my calendar, would they say, you know what? Dad loves me because he's, he's carving out space. There's some tension here. That's what I mean for you on the Sabbath day. Uh, This is not a day where you go, let's just see what happens. Honestly, that's Saturday. For most of us, that's Saturday. I'm going to sit on the couch. I'm going to see what game's on. I'm going to see if Baylor lost. They are losing a lot lately, all right? So whatever, I'm just going to see what game's on. I'm going to relax. I'm going to do nothing, and that's good. That's good. That's good. That's different, though, than this. This is intentional time. Hey, I am going to rest here. And so, uh, again, 
this is for you. I'm really challenging you. I just want to tell you where I'm at right now. So honestly, you know, last week I just said to Liz, like, take my phone. I don't do that very often because I don't know about you, but I'm always on that thing. I'm always checking email and I'm checking Twitter and I'm seeing texting people and my phone, I realized I've just spent hours a day. And so on the Sabbath, if I'm truly resting, I got to hand that phone off and say, you take this for the next eight hours. And if there's an emergency, somebody will figure out how to get a hold of you. Somebody figure out how to get a hold of me. Let me set this thing down. Also, I love to check email just constantly. Do you do this? You're just refreshing over and over. All you're getting is spam. You just keep refreshing over and over. And maybe, because you just, it's almost like we're addicted to this thing. Refresh, refresh, refresh. And so maybe on Sunday, you just go, I need to put that away. I need to say, I can respond on Monday. I don't know what that is for you. Last thing I'll say is, we have tried to make an, an effort to commit to our family. We don't do this very often, but to say, hey, on Sunday nights, let's get everybody together. So last week it was, hey, let's meet at 6 p.m. Again, we don't always do this. We have not gotten this right, but it's something I long to do. Let's meet in the living room. We played this uh, stupid charades game. We all laughed and had a blast, and then we read some scripture, and we just had a brief little time together, and it wasn't perfect, and, you know, some kids were listening, and some kids were thinking about other stuff, and it, it just it wasn't idealistic. It was just, hey, let's have some intention. So my challenge to you is be intentional. It should be restful. It should be holy, and it should be uh, intentional. And so I won't spend a lot of time here, but on your sheet are three things that I'm asking you to consider. I want you to go home. If you'll take this with you, I would ask you to do so. And just read through these three simple statements. The first one is, is my identity found in my work and pace and busyness? And so I just need to confess to you, when we, Liz and I got married, we were 21 years old. We were young. We were kids, you know, and we had dated for a long time, and we got married, and uh, I w- went to her dad and said, I want to marry your daughter, and I am a musician, and uh, those two things are not, those two sentences just like, say what? Like, how are you going to pay? And I'm like, I don't know exactly, all right? And so there was this little time in, uh, early on in our marriage where I was trying to figure out. Like, what is my calling to lead worship and to write songs for the church and to record music? And that seemed like a great idea. It seemed like a calling and a passion of mine, but I didn't know quite how that was going to keep my lights on, you know? And so there was this little season in our marriage where she was out uh, working a real job, is what we both called it. She was working a real job, and I was sometimes at our apartment trying to cold call and say, hey, I can, you know, play music. And there was this little season where I kind of sense that maybe she and I both felt like I'm not a hard worker, right? That was almost 19 years ago. I still have a little seed in my mind and in my heart that says to me, work harder than anyone else. Prove it to yourself. Prove it to your wife. Prove it to the world. I want to be the first one here so the sun's not up. I want to leave last. I want to look at my calendar and be so busy. Can anybody relate to that? I, I have lunch with a lot of you, and you are some hard-working people. And what happens is, by the way, hard work is fantastic. I was raised like that. I saw people around me work hard. It's awesome. I, raise my, I want to raise my boys and my girls like that. Here's the problem. My identity was wrapped up in making sure you knew I was going to work hard. And what happens on, when we are intentional about the Sabbath, here's what happens. Here's what you need to hear today. We say something very simple. You are God. I am not. I am finite. You are eternal. 
And so I can labor and labor and labor, but you don't need me. And so I rest just acknowledging you. And let me tell you something. If you are not resting well, and if I'm not resting well, and I'm just caught up in this little act, like I'm approved to everybody, I'm gonna work harder. We're basically saying to God, we got this. And it can happen inside of a church. It can happen inside of an oil company. Teachers, this can happen in your classroom where you just lean on your own strengths over and over. Dads, oh man, dad, we're so good at this. We're just gonna fix you. We're gonna fix everything, everything. We got this, right? And to say to God, we need you. We're finite. You're eternal. That's what the Sabbath is. Second thing on there, what should change and how I observe the Sabbath, I leave that to you. And the last thing, I just want you to remember, we're not bound by law. So the question is this, how can I delight in God's grace and draw closer to him and resting? What are some things that I'll engage in on a Sunday that just says, I love you, God, and I rest in you? That's what a Sabbath is. If you don't remember anything, you're like, man, that guy talked for a long time. Well, I don't know, I'm not sure what he said. Here's what I want you to remember. Jesus is your Sabbath. Jesus is your Sabbath. Rest in him. If you're on our prayer team, you guys, uh, you men and women, come and take your places. Like I said, uh, lots of stories. Y'all come now if you would, and we, if we have some of you in the room, if you're on our prayer team. Uh, lots of stories of just people wrestling with anxiety, wrestling with um, just issues of stress. And so I would invite you to come seek prayer, but maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I don't know Jesus. You, taught, you said Jesus about 50 times, and honestly... I don't really know what it means to follow him. Please come ask us. These these men and women are flawed, great people, good friends, but they love Jesus and they would love more than anything just to say, let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. So I'm going to pray. And then when I say amen, I want us to stand together. And if you've not been with us, we just always end in a time of prayer. I would invite you to come and just, whether it be massive, we got folks battling big disease, big crazy issues, and maybe it's something smaller. It's like, hey, this week, I got, a, I got an exam this week. Students, I just got an exam. Can you pray with me? Massive, small, I want you to come seek prayer. God, help us rest in you. Thank you for this story in Mark. Thank you the, for the reminder that you love us more than laws and restrictions and following you means freedom and God it's not a a, a free for all so we don't stand here today saying hey that's Old Testament so we can just do whatever we want no we the scriptures give us a framework Father and we thank you for that a framework of what it is to follow you and pursue you but in that framework is freedom to respond to the grace offered through Jesus on the cross. You sent your son. You made a way. He died and rose again. That was for us. God, help us respond to that. Help us uh, take that and replace our anxiety and our stress and worries with that forgiveness and grace found only in Jesus. Replace those things. God, let us exchange. Let that be a beautiful exchange this morning. May we do so in the name of Jesus together.